So, kia ora, my name is Alicia, if you don't know me. I'm one of the co-leaders here. And it's an honour to actually talk to you guys today and see your faces looking back at me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, as much as it was fun during lockdown to see Dylan's face, where's Dylan? Yeah, it was great to see his face and to read the teleprompter. There's nothing like to be able to see your faces looking back at me. So it's, it's really awesome. We have just started a new series called Heart Talks. Dan did it last week. Where Dan, myself and Vivek, we're going to talk about some things that are near and dear to our hearts. Some things that we're passionate about. And when Dan came to me and Vivek and, and pitched this idea as to about talking about something that we're passionate about, I thought, brilliant, this is something that I can do that I'm really passionate about, that I can speak on, gets my gears going, great. Went back home, um, thought about it and worked out, actually, I have quite a few things that I'm passionate about. And to pick one thing for quite an indecisive person at the best of times turned into quite a harrowing task. So thanks, Dan. Kia ora. Um, however, on thinking about it, the bulk of my role, what I do here at CV, is pastoral care, which I absolutely love. And the thing with pastoral care is I get to sit with people, I get to listen to people's stories, and I can talk about how the biggest story of God, the biggest story that God is redeeming the earth, renewing all things, first starts with our own story, with our own life, to serve the glory of God through others and through the earth, but first starting with us. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what gets me out of bed for. So therefore, today, what I plan to do is I'm going to pose some questions to you guys to reflect on some things. We're going to do uh, an atypical group pastoral care session today. Okay, don't worry. I'm not going to get you guys in groups. Okay, sigh of relief. Okay, we're not going to get you to um, talk to your partner next to you. Um, you can stop looking at the exit doors wondering how you can get out now. It's okay. I'm just going to ask you some questions. You can say a, a bit of a relief there. So first off, if we can get um, good old Jesse to come up and do the reading for us today, that would be fab. Morena whanau. Um, the reading for this morning is from Genesis 16, 1 to 10. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? 
I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And this is the word of God for us today. Thanks, Jesse. So here in Genesis 16, it tells us about the first person in the Bible after the fall who sees the presence of God, who names God, Hagar. So what do we know of Hagar? Well, like Jesse said, she's an Egyptian slave. She was a slave to Sarai and Abram. Now Sarai and Abram was Sarah and Abraham later on. Hagar's name means forsaken, the stranger. And in true biblical fashion, she fits the name to her narrative. She is a young girl that's taken away from her homeland and is the servant to this couple with a totally different culture to hers. She was seen as inferior, she was seen as an outsider, and she was powerless. So the story goes, as Jesse just said, Sarai and Abraham couldn't become pregnant and they were getting older and they were getting older, like real old, older. And um, Sarai seemed to decide that she could not wait any longer for God's promise. God's promise to Abram was that he was gonna be a father of many nations. And here they were, they couldn't conceive a child whatsoever. So Sarai thought that she would quicken the pace of this um, promise, that she was going to help Jesus along, because that's what God needs. Um, And so she decided she's got a plan. She's going to connect Sarai, her servant girl, and her husband Abram together. Speed up the process a little bit for that process, for that promise. And so when Hagar became pregnant, what happened? The tensions rose between the two women, surprise, surprise, between Sarai and Hagar. And Sarai regretted the decision for these two to get together, so much so that she mistreated Hagar. We don't know the exact details when they say that um, Sarai mistreated Hagar, but we know that it was severe enough, commentaries say, because for Hagar to flee to that wilderness was pretty much to say that that was a death sentence. There's a high chance for her to um, die in that wilderness. So here in the wilderness, God finds Hagar. God finds the forsaken, he finds the stranger, and he calls her by name. Sarai never called her by her name, she called her the servant girl, but God says, Hagar, And he asks her two simple but important questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? And these are the two questions I want to ask you today. Where have you come from and where are you going? These two questions we're talking about is your origin and your future. Hagar thought she knew her origin story. She thought she knew where she had come from. And she thought she knew her future. She thought she knew where she was going. But God was about to rewrite her story. And for us, sitting here today in this room, if we were to answer these two questions honestly, 
if we let God, allow God to come into these spaces and these questions and remind ourselves about how faithful God is, how much God loves and delights in us and we allow God into these spaces, we allow God to rewrite our stories too. So first question for you, where have you come from? Now I'm not solely asking you about uh, where you grew up, where you were born, that's great, love to know, tell me a little bit more about it, but I'm asking more about the topography that you came from, but how topography has shaped you. I'm asking you to tell me your story in its most truest form, more than just the facts about your family, more than just the cultural or your socioeconomic status or the church you grew up in, but how all of those things has formed you to who you are today. I'm asking you these questions. Are you aware of the events in your life? Whether they be big, whether they be small. The relationships you have had. The unspoken but known rule that you knew that you had in your family. The expectations that your father had on you. Maybe the disengagement that your mother had. That church incident that you had. The words that were spoken over you or maybe the unspoken words over you. How has this shaped and moulded you to who you are today? Now it's easy to look at our own life and bless the goodness in it. We can look at our life in the happy times and say God was in that moment, that's awesome. But what do we do with our brokenness? What do we do with the harm that evil has caused us? Especially in the moments where we have felt powerless. Like Hagar, when decisions maybe have been made on us. What do we do with the brokenness in our lives? Are we to ignore it? Are we to fix it? Or we somehow become engaged by it? Because the reality of life is this, that there is no human being in this room or outside of this room that hasn't been harmed by evil. No matter how good your family was, no no matter how awesome you say your upbringing was or your church was, or is, um, no matter how good you say this is, we have all been impacted. And the goal of the enemy, because we all have one, The goal that the enemy wants to do in our lives is to move us. Whether it be 180 degrees or whether it be one degree, the evil one wants to move us away from life, away from the participation of life, away from what God has for us, away from God. How we process our experiences in life, our heartache, our disappointment, All of that is so important because it will dictate the kind of life that we will lead. And often we are so unaware of the impact that our past has had on us. Ian Morgan Crone said this, he's an author. The self-defining stories. So what I mean by this is the stories that we have named ourselves apart from God or the shame, the things that we call ourselves that aren't true wreak havoc on our lives psychologically and spiritually. 
because the underlying premise of each is in in direct opposition to the grace-filled, larger story God wants us to enter into and enjoy. When I was um, about eight years old, I made a vow. I don't remember the exact details, but I remember the teacher coming to us as a classroom and we're all sitting down and the teacher said to me, or to all the class, who wants to be a class leader? We need a class leader for our school. Who would like to be a class leader? So um, I looked at my best friend and we smiled. I'm like, that sounds epic. We put our hands up. And so a bunch of us that put our hands up, the teacher said, okay, all of you, you come to the site and you're going to come up. And in the teacher's infinite wisdom thought, you know what, we're going to decide by a poll. We're going to decide by a democratic vote, uh, voting system. So one by one, the kid would come up and the teacher would say, who wants Tommy to be the class leader? A bunch of kids put up their hand. Yep, sounds good. Jenny came up. Um, who wants Alicia to be the class leader? No one. Put up their hand. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is my work done. <laughs> Um, no one put up their hand and I remember sitting down and I remember actually my best friend I looked her in the face and she put her head down and she um, possibly the guilt and embarrassment that she didn't have the courage to put up her hand and so I sat back down deeply humiliated and upset but holding back your tears because even at eight you know that you can't show emotion right um And right, this is a story on the trauma spectrum in my life and your life, is pretty low. However, from the start of that narrative of that event, it shifted something in me. It shifted something to be like, I'm not wanted and I don't belong. And any memories that popped up after that that kind of matched that story and that narrative just added to that pile to be like, yep, that's true, that's fact. And I made a vow at eight. I didn't realise I did, but I did. That I will never put myself in that situation ever again. I will not be vulnerable to anyone like that ever again. And I didn't for a good 15 plus years. Didn't speak about it, but my decisions and my actions reflected that. And even though I loved God and I knew God loved me, that part of me was unaddressed and unmoved. What is the state of our inner life? What's going on in our hearts? What have we held on to about ourselves? God cares deeply about what has happened with us, where we have come from, because he knows this shapes us massively. Proverbs 4.23, I don't know why I have this, I haven't done this once, thank you David. (laughs) Above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. This stuff matters. Where have you come from? Second question is this. Where are you going? What's the trajectory of your story? This is not a question of where do you plan to live? What's the job or career that you plan to go down? Another great question, would love to hear it, um, but this is not the question I'm asking from you. When I say, where are you going, I'm asking this. How is it 
that your one beautiful, broken, scarred, but stunning life is going to reflect God's nature in only the way that you can do. Hagar, she thought she had two lots, two options in her life or her future. Either to stay with Sarai and just to push down the abuse and suffering just to survive, that's one option. Or the other option that she took was to run away from the pain, to run to the wilderness. And we can find ourselves thinking that we only have two options with our brokenness as well. That we are to just survive it, to push down our experiences, it doesn't matter, right? Just push on through, think of the future, just think that God's in the future, that's fine to push it down, or to run away from it. And gosh, do we have a plethora of ways we can run away from our pain. I suggest those two options aren't really great either. Richard Raw says this, pain that is not transformed assuredly gets transmitted. As in, pain that we have not addressed, pain that we have not looked in the face of and worked out its impact, gets reenacted in our lives through various different forms, but all in the, in the face of brokenness. We can see this in obvious ways, like addictions and things that we shouldn't be looking at on our phones or drinking too much or eating too much or whatever. And there's these other subtle ways, right? The ways that look good on the outside, but we're just fulfilling something in us. Like maybe we're trying to achieve and be better. We're just going to serve more and fix more people. But it's just reenacting something that's going in us. Transforming pain, as said in Richard Raw's quote, is more than just also resolving the situation. Resolving it as in a cognitive thinking about the situation. That's awesome. It's great that you now know why that situation happened. But transforming pain is bringing it into its fullness. To allow God to transform our pain and let God write a new story from it. I'm really cautious about what I'm going to say next because I'm aware that saying it has actually caused quite a bit of harm in church circles in the past. And I don't want to um, offer a plaster for you that may be this gashing open wound. So I'm aware if you're going through grief or tragedy um, in your life, please, I hope you hear my heart with this. But we have to bear the truth of this also. Is that if we look at the stories in the Bible, we look at the characters in the Bible, oh, a lot of them, uh, Zacchaeus and Jacob and Joseph and Abraham, and we look at our lives, we know this to be true, that the very harm that evil intends to bring is often the very context that God most intends to do good. Another way of explaining this is through the story of Joseph. In Genesis 50, when his brothers had put him into slavery, and then he looks at them years later in the eyes as adults, and he looks at them and says, you meant evil against me, but the phrase, but God meant it for good. Now, like I say, I don't want to downplay any trauma that you've gone through or any harm. And I certainly do not want to paint the picture of God like as if he, in my head, I just 
when I said this, I just don't want you to picture God as if he's like in the corner, scheming and looking at our pain and suffering, kind of like, I'm gonna use your pain and just gonna jump on it. That's not the God that we love and worship. I hope you don't hear that. And I'm also aware and I'm, I'm actually happy to sit in the uncomfortableness of our faith to say that we be stories in our life that maybe we will die with, that are unaddressed, that don't come wrapped up in a package of, oh, I know why this happened. We may still have questions about it and ask God why, with questions and maybe even us as anger. However, if we have experienced and know God true to be real in our lives, we know this to be true that while he created us and is the author of our lives, he is not the author of sin, illness and suffering. And yet the truth and mystery of God, when we live in the kingdom of God right here on earth, is that paradoxes occur. The mystery of God happens that joy and suffering can occur at the same time, right? We can experience joy and suffering at the same time. Death and resurrection married together and pain and transformation also at the same time. Would we wish for the pain again? Never. Would we wish for this to come on our worst enemy? Probably not. But at the same time, we can sometimes look back on it and see the path of goodness and graciousness and God's mercy in our life. When Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the... He's meaning more than life beyond death. He's meaning more than when we die, we're gonna go to heaven. He's offering us life here on earth amongst the suffering, amongst the pain to offer us true life in its fullest form. That narrative that I had that started around about eight has been transformed in my life. God found me and has given me a new story which I've used that experience and I've used other experiences that were truly painful in my life and used them for the role that I have here at CV. To listen and to be able to rename people's story in their life to see God the way that I've experienced God. Eva wanted me to be taken out but God redeemed it for good. Is my life perfect? No. (laughs) Has it been fully redeemed? Not at all. Do I still have questions about some of my things? Absolutely. And that's okay. And it's okay for your life to have that. As long as you're allowing God to re-enter these spaces honestly and let God rewrite your story, you are in the right trajectory. When God called Hagar, he called her by her name. And he wanted to know that she was not an outsider. She was not forsaken. She was not unnamed and she was not unseen. He knew her name and he saw her and he blessed her in the wilderness. Can you see God here with you in the middle of your story? chasing after you in your wilderness. God sees you. 
God knows your story, he knows your name. You are not an outsider. You are not forsaken. You are not a stranger. God wants to rewrite the story to change the way that you answer the questions of where you have come from and where you are going. The way your story began does not have to be the way that it ends. Your family of origin does not have the final say about you. Your trajectory is not fixed. God has found you and he wants you to know that there is a blessing for you, for healing and its truest blessing to come about in your life. And we've all got a story. Every single one of us has a unique and different story. And we all need someone to hear it, to help us uncover the parts of ourselves that are unaddressed or entangled and show us the value that God created in us and call us out. No, that's not us. That's self-defining, that's not actually you. This is what God actually calls you to be. If you don't know where to start, if something's stirring in you or you don't have someone to talk to, oh, we would love to be able to talk and pray with you, to listen to you and to work out where God is in your wilderness. Please don't hold off. Please be attentive to what's going on in your hearts. Please don't think that those two options of just pushing it down and surviving it or to run away from it are the only two options. They're not. I'm going to finish with this last quote by Dan Allender. He said, Healing comes when we are willing to face the truth, deep and specific truth about ourselves. It is when our deepest desires are seen in light of what we can't do for ourselves that we turn again and again to the one who loves our ache and knows our sin and our pain better than anyone in the universe. Healing comes when our story is raw, bone deep and full of hunger for what only Jesus can offer us. Wherever you come from. And where are you going?